vision that no one else knows. There is something that you can provide to the people around you that is specifically and uniquely yours. And I'm really grateful because part of that specific gift is your presence here in this space, here online, in the comment section, with your prayers, with your presence in any number of ways. And so I'm so grateful for you to bring bringing that into this space. And I'm really excited for those of you who are up for exploring what other gifts you have. Are you somebody who reads? Are you somebody who does tech? Are you somebody who does um, any number of the things that makes community possible? So thank you. And thank you for indulging me. I've got the go-ahead vamp done. All right, sermon on. As I mentioned, my name is Jonah. My pronouns are they, them, theirs. And I'm your lead pastor here at Zao. Um, and we have this like really incredible pair of texts today. Now, because uh, we are doing the women's lectionary for the whole church by Will Gaffney, um, we get this interesting pair, right? Like, I have spent so much time with this Luke text, Jesus proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor, but I've never actually sat with it alongside the text about the widow that he's referencing. And this is some of the beauty of being able to weave these stories together, that Jesus is referencing a whole canon that we are not as familiar with, and we get a different layer of meaning by encountering it. And we have this story. So when Jesus is talking about the year of the Lord's favor, when Jesus is talking about letting the oppressed experience liberation and what God's promise is, he calls back and says, he says to this crowd of people who are gathered, people of privilege, I'm not talking about you. And he says, I'm actually talking about someone else. I'm talking about this widow. And he references back to this story. In this story, we have Elijah in a drought, in a famine. And there is a woman, a a woman who has lost her husband, a widow, trying to make it by with her child. And they have nothing. They have so little that when a stranger asks her for food, she says, basically like, if I had it. And instead, I'm going to take the scraps we have, which are not enough, and we're going we're gonna to use them, and we're still going to die. This is how desperate this woman is. And God says, hey, listen, there is enough. There is enough. I know that it doesn't feel like there is a way. I know that the way forward feels like death, but there is a way where there is no way. I will provide a way where there is no way. And that way is through abundance and generosity. So not only are you going to have enough, but you're going to find that you have enough because you give what you have away. You're going to find that there is enough for you and your child because you give to a stranger who asks, a stranger who worships a different God, a stranger who has no connection to you. Someone in need comes to you, and you in your need provide everything you have, and together there is more than enough for each and every one of you. How beautiful. These are the miracles of the margins. Has anybody else ever experienced something like this? Where like you thought that you were at the absolute end of your rope. You were looking at the last scraps of something you had financially, emotionally, relationally, You thought it was over. And then all of a sudden, as if by some miracle, just enough shows up. And not just enough for you, but just enough for you to be connected. Just enough for you to find some foothold of support. Has anybody here experienced that? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I'm seeing a lot of hands, a lot of nods. 
People on the margins experience this all the time, coming just to the edge of what's possible, finding that the way is closed off, and then somehow, by some miracle, God creates a way where there was no way. This is a true experience that has been handed down over and over and over again through the people of God, is recognizing when God makes a way. But as I'm reading this passage, I wonder... Why was there no way? Why did God have to provide a way? Why did God have to multiply that food just to get this woman and her child to the next day and the next day and the next rain? In the scriptures, we are often commanded to care for the widow, the orphan, the poor, the foreigner. And here we see all four of those characters. The widow, this woman whose husband died. Now, why were widows called out in the scriptures so much? Is there something particularly special about widows? Yes, but only insofar as they were discriminated against. Widows were women who had been married, who had some kind of economic security in a patrilineal system that required men in order to survive. And then they lost those men. Now, we think of it now in terms of like how devastating that would be emotionally to lose your partner. But it was not only that, it was losing your livelihood. It was not only being alone, it was being alone and now destitute. And some women still experience this today. Some women still experience that in this room, in this patriarchy, separated from partners and now struggling to make it by. Widows were called out not because something was special about widows, but because something horrible was happening to widows. And God said, you better pay attention to the people who are vulnerable here. They are widows. Next in the line, orphans. Now, I don't know what you think of when you think of orphans. I think of the stories of my childhood, little orphan Annie, or the boxcar children, all the fantasies I had of what I would do if I didn't have parents. But that's actually not what that means in this scripture. In fact, orphans were not children who had no living parents. Orphans were children who had no living father. And so the child of that widow is considered an orphan, which is just another underline of how how stripped of livelihood and ability to survive women and children were when they were separated from from the economic possibility of survival through men. Widow, orphan, the poor, summary. And then here we have the foreigner, the outsider, the one who is to be feared, the other. In this case, Elijah. Or, from Elijah's perspective, this widow and her child. People who don't have a history together, an identity together. People who have no cultural reason to trust one another. People who have been excluded from one another's systems of support and safety. But here they are, starring in this story, all four identities. And they are all starving. And so they cling to one another. They cling to one another, and by some divine revelation of God, by some ability that they have to receive a word from God that no one else can hear, They know that the only way to survive is to cling to one another. And they know that if they do that, if they cling to one another, that there will be enough. And there is. 
Because God comes to the margins. God protects the widow, the orphan, the poor, the foreigner, the vulnerable. God will never abandon the poor and vulnerable. God will never abandon the margins. But why do we have them? Why do we have people on the margins? We talk about the margins a lot here. We talk about how Jesus lived and breathed and moved at the margins, how Jesus brought revelation first and foremost to the margins, how Jesus was more interested in the love of the margins than the seats and halls of power. But why do the margins exist? Are they inherent to God's plan? This is actually what some parts of the church would have you believe, even if they don't say it explicitly. Now, these parts of the church are not in the margins. These parts of the church say the margins are here to show us the face of God. And they get to say that from the safety of the halls of power. Why do we have the margins? Why do we need miracles at the margins? At some level, we are testing God. Now, another story that we didn't hear in the scriptures today is the story of Jesus in the desert. Jesus fasting in the desert, trying to be close to God, trying to clear out everything else, starting off his ministry. And who does he encounter? But the devil. The devil says many things to him, tries to tempt him in many different directions. But one of the things that the devil says is, throw yourself off the top of this temple. God has promised to protect you. So throw yourself off the top of this temple. See those angels swoop down and carry you to safety. And what does Jesus say? Jesus doesn't say, that would defy the laws of physics. Jesus doesn't say, oh, God's not going to do that. Jesus says, do not test the Lord your God. Like, why would I do that? I'm on safe ground right now. Don't throw yourself off of a temple and say, God will protect me. God will protect me. But don't test the Lord your God. And this is what the church does when we fail to fight for, to provide for the margins. Because not only do we fail to provide for one another, we create those conditions that require God's miraculous intervention. Structures of evil don't just exist for us to navigate. We create them and recreate them every day in systems of power and privilege and harm and oppression. Poverty exists because of exploitive capitalism, not because God wanted, wanted the rich to have an ability to care for the poor. And so, there is a margin created by our structural sin, putting some at the center with more than enough, and some at the margins without enough. The mental health and spiritual crises among queer and trans people, especially queer and trans youth, it's not just baked into creation. It's a situation that humanity has created by building and gatekeeping exclusionary churches and communities of support. We have created that margin, and queer and trans kids, queer and trans people are on the margins fighting for their lives. And God goes first to the margins. We talk about this, we believe it, right? But this is not a commentary on inherent value. It's a situation that evil and sin have created in the world. So yeah, Jesus goes there first. And that is where you see these big miracles, these woe miracles, these miracles of abundance and generosity among poor communities surviving together. 
You see, wholly alternative economies of mutual aid among economically excluded black and immigrant communities because God promised to provide for all and does. So I can promise you right now, and some of you know from experience, that God is doing miracles, miracles among queer and trans kids. God is bringing healing through queer and trans kids. God is making a way for life and creativity and art and joy and thriving. But God wouldn't have to do that in this crisis situation if humanity didn't create the crisis to begin with. Why are we putting God to the test? God's miracles of provision could be so much more mundane. If we didn't put God in a corner to swoop down with angels, we could just be with God, thriving in the safety that God has created for us, holding us in the ground. (sighs) Several years ago, I was on the border and I was doing border work. And I had this like visceral experience of what it means to be in, a, in this liminal space where people were trying to cross the border from Mexico into the United States. This was always a survival strategy. Wherever they were from was not tenable for them. And historically, people would come legally if they could, as the legal ways kept getting harder and harder and harder as browner people kept getting more and more excluded, people had to find more and different creative ways to come to safety. And so there were paths carved through the desert. And these were the safest ways to get across. And so the U.S. government targeted those safe ways and filled them with armed agents to prevent people from using those safe ways. And so that pushed people into more and more dangerous, life-threatening paths through the desert to the United States. And more and more people were dying. Now, God was doing miracles. God was doing miracles through God's people, and I got to bear witness to some of that. I was part of a team of people who would walk through the desert every day with a jug of fresh, clean water in each hand and a backpack full of food and medical supplies. And we would, we would hike with those things, leave them in strategic places. We would run across people who needed first aid. There were people who were in this work who were finding each other, border crossers who were finding each other in these miraculous ways, escaping harm, providing life-saving support to each other, emergency medical care to each other. It was miraculous. And what a waste of God's miracles when they could have walked safely home, somewhere, somewhere where they could have lived and thrived, here in the United States, or if they had had conditions at home that felt survivable. Because if God, if people had safe places to cross in the desert, if Christians truly welcomed the foreigner as Scripture commands, If the U.S. government wasn't exploiting the world economy to the point where people experience so much economic desperation that they are willing to risk their lives and leave their countries, their families, and their homes of origin. If people had enough to live where they were and be welcomed where they wished to go, that would be a miracle. That would be the mundane miracle of God's simple kingdom. And we wouldn't need miracles of people finding each other just in time to save lives. Having enough to live 
abundance, which is the core of Jesus' good news. There is enough for all. That's the mundane miracle that God wants to provide. That's the miracle that Jesus is talking about when he elaborates by saying, the Spirit of the Most High is upon me because God has anointed me to proclaim good news to those who are poor. God has sent me to preach liberation to the captives and recovery of sight to those who are blind, to liberate those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Most High's favor. Good news, those who are poor. We're done with hoarding and exploitative economic systems. There's more than enough for all, and no one actually has to be poor if we only take what we need in an economy of trust and generosity and abundance. That's the mundane miracle of God's provision. There is already more than enough. Good news, those who are blind. We're done with ableism. We can trust that your sight is different and valuable. We're going to stop building our world and our structures in a way that makes it impossible for disabled people to offer their fullest gifts to the community. Communities that account for the accessibility needs and individual gifts of all, that's the mundane miracle of God's provision. Good news, captives, incarcerated. We've realized that the carceral logic of punishment and retribution is trash. And it's mostly just a cover for our economic sins and our racism. So we're ready to repent and heal that harm relationally and never cut off or banish or exclude again. Right relationship. That's the mundane miracle of God's provision. We are in the year of the Lord's crisis management. Jesus wants to offer the year of the Lord's favor. Let's stop making God magic scraps into meals. Let's stop making God magic a check into the mailbox of the person who thought they were about to get evicted. Let's stop making God magic just the right words to that trans kid who thought they couldn't hang on a moment longer. Let's stop testing the Lord our God because they've given us more than enough already. There's more than enough in the mundane miracles of provision and love and grace for all to thrive. God has been telling us how to do this over and over and over again. Provide for one another. Dismantle systems of oppression and harm. Trust in one another's generosity. Be the first to give. Be the first to show up vulnerable. Disarm yourself and disarm the world. Look first to those most likely to be marginalized in your context. In the time of the prophets, it was the widow, the orphan, the poor, the foreigner. It's still those people now and more. Now, this sin, this collective sin, this sin from above, this sin of systems of domination, of testing God's provision by withholding abundance and grace from those who are most vulnerable to exploitation, it's not even something we only do on accident. I might be about to ruin someone for you. We're about to have a your fave is problematic moment for a few people in the room. Or maybe your fave is actually kind of a monster. <laughs> Devin's ready. <laughs> yeah. We got to talk about Mother Teresa. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Mother Teresa is a really cherished figure, especially among white Western Christians. 
this saint, literal saint, who went to the poor, to the margins in Calcutta, and provided care. Mother Teresa was cruel. Mother Teresa was abusive. Mother Teresa offered care, so to speak, for people suffering with debilitating, excruciatingly painful, and often fatal illnesses. She did so very publicly in the name of God, and she gathered millions and millions of dollars for their care. But according to some academics, in particular a very famous now study by some Canadian academics investigating her work and her ministry, those millions of dollars didn't go to providing millions of dollars worth of adequate medical care and support to people who needed it. With all of that money coming in, that could have gone towards supportive care, sanitary conditions, or painkillers for those people feeling excruciating pain at the end of their lives. Mother Teresa systematically and intentionally denied those things. The summary conclusion of this academic study is, quote, Mother Teresa believed the sick must suffer like Christ on the cross. This is another sin of the church, yeah. Fetishizing other people's pain and suffering because bearing witness to it helps people feel close to the suffering of Jesus. Because bearing witness to the margins gives a vantage point to see Jesus show up. Because of course Jesus showed up in Calcutta. Of course Jesus didn't abandon his beloveds as they were in pain and dying. Of course people had these revelations, these divine experiences, moments of extreme peace. And folks with more power and privilege came like spiritual vampires to feel close to those miracles. The mundane miracle of God's provision would have been palliative care, would have been analgesics, would have been sanitary conditions, would have been holding someone's hand as they peacefully die, no longer in pain because they were provided what they needed. But that doesn't get you sainthood. Ask the chaplains at our community. <laughs> the mundane miracles of God's care do not allow for white savior complex. The mundane miracles of God's care require us to show up with enough so there aren't these big mountaintop experiences of God swooping down with angels in the moment of excruciating pain and death. Why are we testing God, and who pays the price? Who pays the price? There was an evangelical preacher that kind of blew up on TikTok recently saying that LGBTQ people that come to church have a stronger faith than straight people. I believe he might have even said they have a stronger faith than me. Anyone else see this? See this clip? And like, he's right. Of course he's right. You know he's right. It is really, really hard for queer people to be in church. And queer people who come to church have a kind of strength and a kind of faith 
that straight people who have never experienced that kind of discrimination could never know. And people are getting excited because it's like, wow, look at the faith of queer Christians. How beautiful, how powerful. Look at the evangelical church starting to recognize that. And like, yeah, okay, let's celebrate progress. Like, that's for real. We don't get that many wins. You know, boost that TikTok. And also, queer Christians shouldn't have to have stronger faith to come into supportive spiritual community. Disabled people should not have to be so inspiring to non-disabled people. Black people should not have to work twice as hard to get half. We have to stop putting God to the test. We have to stop putting God's people to the test. God made us resilient. God made us abundant. God gifted us with so much. Why are we wasting our miracles on survival? Can you imagine what God could be doing in and through each and every one of us if survival wasn't always on the table? Can you imagine what God could be doing in the world if we were following the instructions to provide for one another, to take only what was needed, to give what we had? The beauty, the power, the creativity, the joy, that is the simple kingdom we were singing about. It's not complicated. We try and make it complicated. We're going to like build all these NGO structures. We're going to try and intervene with all these charities. We could imagine a system where the first is last and the last is first. That is a system where there is no first and last. We can imagine a world where the hierarchy is leveled because all have enough. All are held in communion and community. Everyone takes what they need and gives what they have. And this is the description we have of the early church. This is the purest, most Pollyanna, pie-in-the-sky version we have of what it means to be Christian community. So it is in God's kingdom, let it be in God's church. And so that is why we march in the streets. That is why we demand to end these systems of oppression and domination. That is why we do everything we can to eliminate hierarchy and domination and exploitation. And it's got to start with us. It's got to start in here. It's got to start in our interpersonal relationships in our church communities to say we are not going to test God's provision because we are going to provide for each other with the mundane, miraculous provision we have already been given. Could we be in this together? Could we be the kingdom? Could the kingdom be here now and in us? Jesus seems to think so. It feels like kind of a long shot some days. But I know that somewhere in your spirit, you know it's possible. Because I know that somewhere in your body, you remember a moment you experienced the mundane miracles that made life worth living. The relief of survival, it's a shot of adrenaline. It's the thing that makes you weep at the foot of the cross. But the joy of connection, the ease of abundance and provision, feeling truly held in a community that knows you and loves you, not worrying about tomorrow, looking at the world, seeing God's provision for the birds and the flowers and God's people and trusting, knowing in your heart that you will be okay and being able to save that energy to show up fully with yourself to the people you love, to the creation around you, to a meal with friends, to a moment of deep peace held in the divine? 
this. This is the year of the Lord's favor. Let us settle for nothing less. Will you pray with me? Good and holy God, help us to trust. Help us to trust in the wild, unimaginable promise of mundane miracle. Help us to trust that we can be a part of your work of building a kingdom where all are provided for. Help us to celebrate the miracles on the margins and fight for a world where they are unnecessary. God, recruit us to your work. Help us to find abundance and share it. May we be the kind of people, may we be your people, alive, a simple kingdom here and now and coming and forever. God, we have enough because we have each other. We have enough because you gave us enough. May we know that. May we fight for that. And may we be made whole. Amen.